0: interior design and planning firm specializing in healthcare, residential and waterfront projects located in Friendship, Maine and Rhinebeck, New York. optimusarchitecture.com. Support for WERU also comes from Artisan Builders, providing environmental design, construction and renovation for homeowners and local businesses since 1992. More information at 322-4647.
1: Yes I Reggae music and local lore Where else it's gotta be The WEIU drive-thru Join us once your Wednesday evenings From 8 until 10pm It's two hours We look at roots and culture Reggae music From the down east flair Kind of like Bob Marley meets Bert and I and I A couple hours of bad grammar Nestled in around some reggae music Hey, we're hoping you're going to join us each and every Wednesday evening on your community radio station. Just visiting? Got friends here from away? You can take us home with you no matter where you live. Live on the web, streaming, W-E-R-U dot O-R-G.
2: Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com.
3: It's
4: 39 degrees here at Orleans uh, Studios of WERU, and it's time for
5: Maine Currents.
2: This is Maine Currents, Independent Local News, Views and Culture for Wednesday, April 5th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. State Representative Rachel Talbot Ross of Portland is sponsoring a bill that would, quote, create a permanent commission on the status of racial and ethnic populations to promote, carry out and coordinate programs designed to improve opportunities for racial and ethnic populations, end quote. A public hearing for the bill that would create the commission was held on Monday before the legislature's state and local government committee. In our first segment today on Maine Currents, we listen in.
5: Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and the esteemed members of the state and local government committee, my name is Rachel Talbot Ross, and I represent House District 40, which comprises the Portland neighborhoods of Parkside, Bayside, East Bayside, Oakdale, and the University of Southern Maine campus. Thank you. the opportunity to come before you today to present LD1008, an act to establish the Permanent Commission on the Status of Racial and Ethnic Populations. In every social, educational, health and economic system on which we have data, there are acute disparities for racial and ethnic populations in Maine. Research shows, for instance, that African-American and Hispanic or Latino Mainers are experiencing unemployment rates more than double the state average. The median income for every other racial group in Maine is at least $10,000 lower than the income for white Mainers, according to the 2011 Maine Racial Justice Policy Guide. That report also found that in every county in Maine, saw double-digit percentage growth in the number of people of color living there between 2000 and 2010. The ACLU of Maine has reported on the significant gap in arrests by race by Maine police departments, including the fact that black people are four times as likely to be arrested as people of other races in Auburn. We know that there are statistical disparities between racial and ethnic groups in school achievement, incarceration, and health outcomes. Despite these statistics, there are no coordinated state mechanisms to address this historical pattern. In the absence of any state agency or public entity specifically charged with addressing issues related to our racial and ethnic populations, it is critical to have, at the minimum, a nonpartisan group that will do this on an ongoing basis. Even if a state agency or position were created to do this work, the need for an independent and transparent commission would not be less significant or valuable. While this proposed commission alone is not responsible for rectifying these disparities and would not be a substitute for the work of state agencies, it will serve as an informative vehicle for policy development and education in the way Maine's Permanent Commission on the Status of Women currently does. This commission has done valuable ongoing work to gather information on and draw attention to the most pressing issues facing Maine women while developing policy recommendations that reflect current challenges and opportunities. I have attached its 2017 report to this testimony as an example of their work. Additional information, as well as previous annual reports for the Commission, can be found on their website uh, through the Secretary of State's office. To be clear, this Commission is intended to not only identify barriers and disparities, but just as importantly, to examine areas of growth, success and positive opportunities. We know that immigrants and people of color play an important role in our economy as workers and taxpayers, students and consumers. Members of Maine's racial and ethnic populations contribute in many other ways as well, helping to revitalize our communities and making our state a more vibrant place to live and work. Some useful research into the challenges and successes of Maine's racial and ethnic groups has been done in the past, including the Maine Center for Economic Policy's 2009 and 2011 reports on the role of Latinos and Asians, respectively, in our economy, and the Maine's People's Resource Center's 2011 Racial Justice Policy Guide. These reports, though, have been few and too far in between. They are not comprehensive and do not begin to address all of the ethnic and racial populations in Maine. One of the primary benefits of a commission focused on racial and ethnic populations is for the members of these populations to have a voice at the state level and be visible in ways one position or even a small office wouldn't fully capture. It would make a positive difference to members of our diverse communities to be involved in the continual assessment of the quality of their lives and to be able to make recommendations directly to the executive branch and legislature without being beholden to any political party. The other benefit is the Commission would be able to address issues impacting these populations from across the state and not just one region. While there will be some bills that focus on certain groups within these populations, this bill allows for the state to evaluate systems that are producing inequitable outcomes for all of Maine's racial and ethnic populations. LD1008 makes them all equal and is inclusive of the racial and ethnic populations that have generational and historical roots in Maine. I urge you to support the creation of this permanent commission to research and advocate for improved outcomes for all Maine's racial and ethnic populations. Thank you for your consideration and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have.
6: Committee? No questions? Anyone? Seeing none. Thank Thank you you very much. Are there any co-sponsors of this legislation that wish to speak? I see we have one or two here in the room. We have two, actually, but if there are none. Are there any other legislators that wish to speak to this? Seeing none, those who wish to speak in favour of this legislation, supporting this legislation... I see some people looking at each other. So.
7: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
8: That's a good sign. <clears throat> good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon, Senator Davis, Representative Martin, members of the Joint Standing Committee on State and Local Government. Um, my name is James Mile. I'm a policy analyst at the Main Center for Economic Policy. I'm here to testify in favor of LD 1008. Maine's economic future hinges on our ability to attract, retain, and maximize the contributions of racial and ethnic populations. Relative to other states and nations, Maine is not necessarily an outlier in terms of the aging of our population. Where we differ most is in our relative lack of racial and ethnic diversity. It is perhaps because of the limited share of Maine's population that is represented by minority populations, it is easy to overlook the contributions and challenges of these residents. For example, small business ownership rates tend to be higher among certain minority populations in Maine. By 2014, the number of Maine businesses with employees owned by blacks and Asians had increased since the recession began, while the number of white-owned firms remains below pre-recession levels. Furthermore, black youth aged 16 to 24 in Maine are more likely to be employed than their white counterparts. By contrast, Maine consistently has the highest or among the highest rates of African-American poverty in the nation. Whites with a high school degree are just as likely to be employed as blacks with a bachelor's degree. 27% of white workers are in low-wage jobs, those paying less than $11.20 an hour, compared to 42% of minority workers in Maine. We should strive to maximize the potential of all Mainers regardless of their ethnicity, state, or country of origin. Doing so requires us to take an intentional look at the experiences and outcomes of racial and ethnic populations in Maine. Establishing a permanent commission is an important first step. In less than 30 years, the United States is expected to become a so-called majority-minority population, meaning that less than half the population will identify as white, non-Hispanic. Maine cannot afford to be perceived as an old white state in an increasingly young and pluralistic nation. A Permanent Commission will allow us to benefit from the experiences and perspective of racial and ethnic populations already in Maine and to orient our state towards an even more diverse and dynamic economic and demographic future. Thank you, and I'll be happy to take any questions.
6: Any questions? Anyone?
8: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else wish to speak in favor of
6: this legislation? Welcome.
9: Thank you. and. If I may, I also have brief testimony on behalf of Portland businessman Benjamin Waxman, in addition to my own. Quite all right. Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and members of the Joint Standing Committee on State and Local Government, my name is Cynthia Finney. I am the president of the Maine AFL-CIO. We're a federation of approximately 160 labor organizations, representing some 40,000 working men and women in the state of Maine. We work to improve the lives and working conditions of our members and all working people. We are here today in support of LD 1008. I'm sure that we all share the goal of making certain that Maine lives up to the welcome sign that we see when we return home on I-95, Maine the way life should be. And I know that the work of the legislature is to create and hone policies toward that end. As a white person in Maine a state that, as we all know, is currently and for the past couple of hundred years has been populated by a very large majority of white people, it's easy for me to wrongly assume that when I and other mostly white European-descended people around me see, experience, and discuss is the whole picture of how things are in Maine. But I hear from my friends of other races and ethnicities that I don't always understand what certain aspects of life are like for them. Or necessarily face the same challenges that they do and when I listen well I see that they are right as a policymaker in my organization this can hamper me if I have not had the opportunity to listen and to learn the Commission that LD 1008 seeks to establish will create opportunities to listen and learn and a fuller picture to be shared It will help ensure that the information about the people of Maine for whom we are establishing policy here in the legislature is more complete and more accurate. This is essential for good policymaking. I had the privilege to serve on the Maine Citizen Trade Policy Commission for the first several years of its existence. I know from my work on that commission and my work on those issues in the years since that members of the main legislature have been among the most informed state legislators in the nation about the impact of international trade policy, what they can have on state laws and policy, largely as a result of that commission. We would all benefit if a commission on the status of racial and ethnic populations had a similar effect around issues that can otherwise divide us as a population or lead us to, while meaning no harm, establish or maintain policy with unintended consequences for segments of our population. On behalf of the Maine AFL-CIO and Maine's increasingly diverse workforce, we encourage you to vote ought to pass on LD 1008.
6: Thank you. Do we have any questions? Anyone? Thank you very much.
9: And testimony from Mr. Benjamin Waxman um senator represent senator davis representative martin and members of the joint standing committee on state and local government my name is benjamin waxman and while i am unable to attend today's hearing in person due to business responsibilities in another location i thank you for accepting my testimony in 2013 after spending 12 years in washington dc i moved back to my hometown of portland maine with a dream to create jobs in the place that i grew up and loved With the help of my mother, Dory Waxman, and family, friends, and a wide network of contacts, I founded American Roots, which I now co own with my fiance, Whitney. We manufacture fleece products in Portland, Maine, created from entirely American made components, and we partner with a number of local organizations and agencies to create and support good jobs and training for this industry, all right here in Maine. Our staff and workforce are diverse and include people born and raised in Maine, as well as people from a variety of other countries who now call Maine home. Working closely with all these people, I get to see firsthand the things we have in common, our desire to build good lives for our families, our desires for meaningful and honest work, our value of friendship, and our excitement at building something new together by bringing an old industry back to life in our state and country. I also get to see the richness and the challenges that our different languages and cultures bring to making a good life here in Maine. And I see firsthand that escaping from a war-torn homeland and making a new life in a very different culture and climate builds tremendous strength and character, but also represents very different challenges for these families than those faced by my raised-right-here-in-Maine family. The Maine Legislature strives to make Maine a good place for all Mainers. I believe that a permanent commission on the status of racial and ethnic populations will be a significant aid in helping the members of the legislature more fully know and understand the experience of the many faces of Maine and to better craft legislation that serves us all so we can continue building here together. I urge you to vote ought to pass on LV 1008.
6: Thank you. Questions, comments? Senator DeChambeau.
5: In your testimony, you said, and thank you, for serving in Maine's Citizen
9: Trade Policy Commission. Was that a legislative initiative? Or- it was. It was established in, I think, 2001 or 2002. Um, and it, the members of it, it, it contains a couple of uh, representatives um, from the Senate and the House, and then it has representatives appointed by the um, President of the Senate, the Governor, and the uh, Speaker of the House from representing various constituencies in Maine, businesses, agriculture, uh, public health. Is
5: it still in operation? It is. It is? Okay. Thank you. Mm
9: -hmm. It's currently chaired by uh, Amy Volk and Craig Hickman, Senator Amy Volk and Representative Craig Hickman.
5: Thank
2: you. Uh, You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU FM. The first half of today's program, we're listening in on the public hearing for LD 1008, an act to establish the Permanent Commission on the Status of Racial and Ethnic Populations. It was held by the Legislature, State, and Local Government Committee on Monday. Back to the rest of that meeting.
6: Others wishing to speak in favor of this legislation, in support of it.
7: Good afternoon, Senator Davis, Representative Martin and members of the Joint Standing Committee on State and Local Government. My name is Joby Thoyal, and I'm a policy analyst with Maine Equal Justice Partners. We're a civil legal services organization, and we work with and for people with low income, uh, seeking solutions to poverty through education, legal representation, and policy. I'm speaking today in support of LD1008. Um, barriers to economic and social equality, equity and justice have existed for racial and ethnic minorities throughout the history of our country and we believe that Maine is no exception to this. We have seen such barriers through our work with clients. Take newly arrived immigrants for instance. The vast majority of whom we help are people of color. They face challenges when trying to escape poverty that are particular to their race, ethnic background or culture. For example, newly arrived immigrants with limited English are often not able to obtain services from the state and local governments and nonprofit service providers that are sufficiently language accessible and culturally competent. This could lead to a misunderstanding of what a health professional has prescribed or a caseworker's ability to determine program eligibility. Indeed, we know both of these happen with unfortunate regularity. Though discrimination is hard to prove, We often hear from people who feel they have been discriminated against in various circumstances, whether it be due to their race, country of origin, religion, or limited English proficiency. There are already stereotypes and stigmas associated with poverty and anti-poverty programs. We have gotten the strong sense from working with people over the years that the stereotypes and stigmas associated with racial and ethnic minority groups compounds upon the stigma of being poor. We strongly believe that this compounding effect narrows people's avenues to getting help and sometimes prevents people from, e- from seeking help in the first place, even if they qualify and, and are certainly in need of it. This helps no one. It's for, this reason, it's for this reason that we support the establishment of an official body established by law to study this in detail and to do so for years to come. Our experience with these issues is anecdotal and based on intangible and subjective perceptions and, and reports from clients and other service providers with, with whom we collaborate. We have not had the capacity to undertake a systemic analysis of, of the problems that, fa- that face new Mainers or other racial and ethnic populations. As a result, we cannot fill the gaps in the data that do exist. We don't, we don't know how widespread racial and ethnic disparities may be throughout the different parts of the state, And the only way any of us can know this is if an entity such as the proposed commission is able to make a comprehensive study of these critical issues we strongly believe that this approach to review available data examine additional data needs and propose systemic solutions would not would not just benefit minority communities in the state but would be beneficial to all mainers this kind of ongoing analysis is essential to fairly and adequately address problems of discrimination and to develop appropriate solutions to prevent serious problems from continuing in the future we hope such a commission would, would help to alleviate would, would help to elevate focus on racial and ethnic disparities in the state and in particular those disparities that may ex- exacerbate inequality between groups for these reasons we urge the committee to vote ought to pass on LD 1008 thank you for the opportunity and I'd be happy to answer any questions
6: any questions Representative BB sanna
7: Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
5: <clears throat> have you noticed any growth in um,
10: discrimination?
7: So, um, we uh, have heard uh, anecdotally, mm-hmm. um, we we have a hotline where we we help clients over the phone. And I've heard a little bit from, from our own direct services staff. But we also work in partnership with a lot of service providers around the state. And just the other day I heard from Pine Tree Legal um, that they're seeing a lot more fair housing claims. Mm-hmm. Um, so that type of anecdotal information here, I, I work with a lot of asylum seekers in Portland. It's, it's really hard to get housing with a GA voucher, and um, and yeah, th- that's the type of it. It definitely is growing, and that and you know there are more um, new Mainers coming to the state, so that could be part of the reason.
6: Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you,
11: sir. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak in favor of this legislation? Senator Davis, Representative Martin, distinguished members of the Committee on State and Local Government. My name is Matt Dunlap from Old Town. I am the Secretary of State, and I am here to testify in favor of LD1008. Representative Talbot Ross already spoke uh, at some depth to the work of the Women's Commission, so I'll only touch on that In my as you have my written testament before you. Uh, we do staff the Permanent Commission on the Status of Women, and at the time that this was being contemplated, uh, the, the Women's Commission – um, I was approached, as, as we were designated as the repository for it, um, or as the administrator for it, that it's something that had been around at one point. Nobody really felt it was necessary to, to um, you know, bring back up, put back into place. Uh, but nonetheless, the legislation prevailed. And the, the, now a couple weeks ago, they released their 2017 report, and it was incredibly comprehensive. with a lot of new information and good information. The people that are members of that commission work extraordinarily hard and they ask a lot of good questions and they go out into the world themselves and they get a lot of good information. And it is very, I think, very helpful for those of you who are working in public policy around those areas to have that additional information. And so I think the promise of this is that you'll get a lot of good information about the status of uh, racial and ethnic populations in the state of Maine, which is something that oftentimes people don't think about as Maine being – perhaps the whitest state in the, in the union. Uh, but nonetheless, we do have significant minority populations. I, uh, I served for two years, actually 27 months to be precise, uh, as one of the five commissioners in the main Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, we learned an, an incredible amount uh, about the history of state-tribal relations in that work, including a, a much better understanding of how government has worked with and against our tribal communities over the last 500 years or so. Sadly, most of those interactions have been confrontational, but understanding that and accepting it helps all communities reach beyond those histories and create something new, which was the chance for a true alliance of differing communities. Our shared histories of ethnic and race relations are, all at once, fascinating, rich, and tragic. Public policy often reflects the passions of the times. How our kaleidoscope of communities embrace, resist, and prevail despite of or because of those policies is what has shaped our destiny. Of course, the enduring legacy of that peculiar institution comes immediately to mind, and Maine's role in ending the blight of slavery, torn out of our national fabric by the bayonets fixed by thousands of Maine farm boys, store clerks, lumberjacks, and deckhands, is well known. Lesser known because of the absolute secrecy necessary for success was the courage of those who assisted in the conduct of the Underground Railroad and countless other unknown acts of kindness and courage. Less comfortable to remember is the history of the Ku Klux Klan here in Maine, arraying the forces of hatred against our French Catholic neighbors, and recent tensions in many of our communities with the influx of immigrants from Africa, Asia, South America, and Southern North America. The American ideal that success is measured by hard work and vision, regardless of race, ethnicity, or creed, is undermined by cultural prejudices and racism. In the work that we enjoined into the Maine Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission, we found alarming evidence of prejudice that had wormed its way into our policies regarding Native families based on policies established hundreds of years before. And even though one would think those tainted policies would have long since blown away into the dusty dunes of forgotten history, they nonetheless continued to be a part of the organic yet unconscious fabric of public policy. When we released our report, and cited as causes of the issues that hectored native families, institutional racism, and cultural genocide, some reacted in strong disbelief. The reader comments in the online version of the news reports were not for the tender of heart. Others were relieved that we stated plainly what they had so longly clearly understood. My point in relating this is that we still have a lot to learn. Many thousands of years ago, nomadic peoples could walk from the north of Scotland, which is my homeland of genealogy, to the southern tip of Patagonia, without getting their feet wet. Part of that was because a great deal of the world's water was tied up in the ice sheets that covered much of eastern North America at some point up to about 30,000 years ago. Since the glaciers receded and melted, we've become separated from each other and have developed entirely different cultures. Our racial differences are biologically more complex, but historically our similarities are what draw us together into unified communities. I believe that is what brings us together through this legislation and why I support it. And I'm happy to answer any questions at the pleasure of the chair at this time.
6: <laughs> any questions of the secretary? Representative Rodway?
11: Yes, just drawing on
6: your history, Mr. Secretary, um, I'm looking at the makeup of the membership of this commission as proposed. And it's federally recognized Indian tribes as counting as one person. Is there one particular pe- one person
11: that speaks for the four tribes? Um, <clears throat> I, wouldn't, I would suggest probably not. But and I also think, you know, again, this is something the committee can work on, but the, the term federally recognized tribe is something that we spent a lot of time talking about on the TRC. At one time, Maine had as many as 30 tribes. Um, those were dissipated because of warfare, disease, migration. Um, in fact, the Kennebec River that we are near, we can see from where we are, um, was named after the native peoples that lived in this area and that uh, the Massachusetts militia was dispersed, it was uh, um, sent out to, um, to wipe out. Uh, the Androscoggins, the Cascos, the Norwich Walks, uh, some of them were smaller bands, so we don't even know what they were called, but we do know that uh, the issue of federal recognition, getting to your particular point, is one of the is one of the the profound vertical issues that face native peoples is how they are defined either as as you know what qualifies you to be a member of a tribe especially a federally recognized tribe causes great a great deal of heartache and hardship among the people that you can be a native family and be counted in the register of, say, either the Passamaquoddy tribe or the Penobscot nation. Yet, if you adopt a child who is not native, they are not counted as a member of the tribe. Um, blood quantum comes into this, and blood quantum is something that's defined in federal rule as to what percentage of native blood you must have in order to be considered a tribal member. And getting back to where we stood before the ratification, which was done rather swiftly by this state of the Thirteenth Amendment, which abolished slavery. Before that, the property laws around slavery, slavery, were extraordinarily sophisticated and complex. In fact, you could be as little as one eighth African and be sold into slavery. So you know the contemplation of things like what constitutes a federally designated tribe or blood quantum are issues that face. Our native peoples in pretty hard ways. So to answer your question, I can't think of any one person that would be qualified to speak for all the tribes at the same time. There's no one person that could not. So the language how you how you frame it is debatable, and how you want to include that. that. No Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Wow. <laughs> you ask a question, specific, you're bound to get an answer. Very specific
6: answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very pleased to yeah. get. <laughs> Anyone else have a question for the Secretary? If they dare. (laughs) (laughs) Have a run around the band. (laughs) Wind up where you started. Thank you very much, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Your testimony. Is there anyone else wishing to speak in favor of this legislation? Is there anyone wishing to speak in opposition to this legislation? Seeing none, is there anyone wishing to speak neither for nor against this legislation? Seeing none, we will close the public hearing, and the work session has been scheduled for... uh, It hasn't been scheduled yet. (laughs) Okay.
2: And that public hearing for LD1008, an act to establish the Permanent Commission on the Status of Racial and Ethnic Populations was held by the Legislature's State and Local Government Committee on Monday. The bill is sponsored by Representative Rachel Talbot Ross. As of this afternoon, a work session on the bill still hadn't been scheduled. More information, including contact information for your state representatives, is available at legislaturemaingovernor you You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. Shifting gears now, we're joined by two guests who are working on events that are geared toward bringing community members together for civil discussions about politics. I'm going to have them each tell us a little bit about their events and then we'll open the phone lines and invite listeners to join the discussion. Stacy Leafsong is an organizer with Mainers for Accountable Leadership. They're holding a community listening session in Orland, here in Orland, this Saturday, inviting people to come together and talk about their concerns, uh, which will later be brought to the attention of elected officials. Welcome, Stacey. Hi there. And Craig Freshly is a professional uh, meeting moderator with the Good Group Decisions and a facilitator of makeshift coffee houses. And the next coffee house will be taking place at Husson University this weekend, and it's going to focus on some of the recently passed ballot questions that legislators are now resisting and acting into law or trying to tweak before they enact them. And this particular coffee house is sponsored by the Maine Republican Party. Welcome, Craig.
4: Hey, good afternoon.
2: So let's start with why. Why are you putting these on? Stacey, why hold a community listening session?
10: Well, with the work that we do with Mainers for Accountable Leadership and the group that I'm involved with, Standing for the Common Good, um, both of those, uh, we work with a lot of lobbying with elected officials about a- accountability. And then that brings us in that connection with the four federal um, representatives. There's uh, a piece of the political picture that's happening right now. We're in a time of extremism, of people experiencing, the citizens experiencing a lot of challenges on a whole range of fronts. And so there's one piece which is trying to bring the voice uh, to the electeds and asking, asking the electeds to be accountable. But there's also an element in our communities of fragmentation because of the issue of what well, we sort of identify as a corporations versus people, the way that politics have become more corporately based and then the, the disenfranchisement of the people. And in order to heal this, uh, we really need to get involved in our communities. And it's sort of coming back to a village concept, which I've been working with for many, many years in my own heart, of really, do we know our communities? Do we know what's happening in them? Do we know who's poor? Do we know the children that can't eat, that that can't don't have enough food to eat? Um, do we know who is struggling, who needs help? It's getting a more of a village uh, viewpoint. So, part of this is a listening session without real partisan focus really about getting to know our communities and their needs. And then from those questions that emerge from this, it's based and starts in concern, and that concern bridges to problem-solving as we come together and start to look at answers. And then, yes, we take those answers and we um, will come up with action that we can do, and also we'll take those voices and um, through Mainers for Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good We'll bring them to the electeds and ask them for accountability. But there's really two folds of this. One is community building, unification. It'll be easier for us to get representation that really speaks for our voices if we have a system uh, between of the people being by for and of them. And that is our that is our responsibility as the citizens.
2: Great. And Craig, why were the makeshift coffee houses started?
4: Oh, well, first, thanks for the opportunity to be on the show and uh, shout out to Stacy. The work that you're doing sounds really great. I imagine that both you and I, Stacy, were motivated by a similar sort of dynamic happening in our society, uh, but we have slightly different responses. The thing that I've been so troubled by is the deepening political divide um and my response to that is to help people understand where each other are coming from uh it's similar to what stacy's proposing in terms of understanding our communities i'm trying to provide a forum for people to understand each other uh this is a forum though that's not just talk um, it's also music it's also food and the talk is of a particular type. It's good old-fashioned face-to-face uh, civil discord and and conversation. Uh, it's, it's increasingly easy to listen to people that think like us. And uh, you can imagine I'm thinking of uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the other ways that we can get information from people who already agree with us while sitting isolated looking at a computer screen. And I think that this is one of the contributing factors to our growing political divide. And I'm trying to get people away from their computer screen into a room with people who are different and actually talk face to face. Not to come to agreement necessarily, not to persuade each other, but simply to understand where each other is coming from. That's what the makeshift coffeehouse is all about.
2: Great. We're going to go into some of the details, but I want to open the phone lines quickly and just let listeners know at any point if they want to jump in and join the discussion or ask questions of my guests. Stacey Leafsong is with Mainers for Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good, which I neglected to mention earlier in the introduction. And Craig Freshly, who is a facilitator for the Makeshift Coffee Houses. Uh, the number here into the studio is 469 again, 469 if you're local, and you can also call toll-free at 1-866-625-9378, 625 9378 So listeners, have you tried to engage with people with different beliefs? Uh, have you tried to engage them in discussion? Colin, let us know how that's gone for you or in a group setting, what kind of parameters would you need to make that comfortable? And this seems to be a movement that's taking place across the state with different variations. You're hearing two of them here. Um, We've also been doing it here at WERU with our multi-partisan panels, which we have been meeting here on Main Currents, um, sometimes as often as twice a month leading up to the election, just trying to not persuade people but just Get a sense of where each other are coming from. Craig, you mentioned Facebook. Uh, before we just uh, change the subject, shift to gears a little bit, on the website for the uh, makeshift coffee houses, there's a link to a page that compares how Facebook looks for people <laughs> right. who identify as liberal versus conservative. Can you say a little bit about that?
4: Yes. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has developed uh, a, a fun, interactive website where you can choose a topic Um, I'm not looking at it right now, but I think the topics are, you know, gun control, health care, environmental protection. And it shows you side by side, if you are more inclined to be a a red person, uh, conservative, this is the kind of stuff that you're apt to see in your Facebook feed. If you have shown Facebook that you are a liberal person, a blue person, uh, this is the kind of stuff that you are most likely to see in your Facebook feed. And the stuff is totally different. Uh, it shows that you get a very different perspective on the news uh, depending on your political disposition, at least through
2: Facebook. And it's a lot. It's pretty dramatic. They're keeping it up to date. So if you go to the link, um, and you want to give your website just real quickly?
4: Oh, that'd be great. Uh, MakeshiftCoffeeHouse.com okay. all, all one word and there's a place for resources and you can find that particular um Face you know page and and several other resources uh, on this
2: topic. All right, I'll have you both give contact information at the end of the program. But in case people want to follow along and check that out, Stacey, is this the first community listening session
10: that you're holding? Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, do you think that it'll become a series or? That's the intention. Is it, yeah, we will keep meeting, and this is it's um, a starting point to keep building from. But um, we are really looking to um enable people to because we are we're focused on congressional district 2 and really we're living in the same landscape with uh similar issues and challenges and so we're really seeking to find unification um through understanding and uh and to find the and answers and solutions there so it's a you know going from the format of listening to problem solving together to then creating action
2: Is this at all based on the indivisible guidelines for the indivisible groups, or is is this something that your group put together... Uh, there are two groups you're associated with: Meaners for accountable leadership and standing for the common good. What what was the impetus?
10: Um, the impetus was well, I, I guess it would be kind of more. This is sort of like a personal dream, sort of dream time of me of my own of um, that's come out. I think, I mean, certainly the Democrats are doing this in some of their listening sessions. But the idea of it is really, um, for me, um, comes from some really deep concern around climate change. Um, really um, issues around our way that we connect with nature that we c- connect with each other and seeing the uh, the way that media creates a divisiveness a divide between us and um, an, insul- an isolation and um, this kind of idea of nuclear homes and not connecting but we really are dealing with uh, similar challenges and I think in the in even though we are experiencing a lot of divide around partisanship, in our hearts I think there's a lot of shared uh, concerns and desires to get to a similar place. And so I think it's just teasing away a lot of the surface, um, uh, perhaps even media-imposed differences to find find common ground.
2: Yeah, you yeah. know, that's been one of the things that's been really interesting with the multi-partisan panels is the fact that the group of people that's been meeting together for just over a year now – has been pretty solid. We've had a few changes over the months of people come and gone. But for the most part, it's been the same group of people and they are diametrically opposed in some cases mm. politically. But the fact that they get here early and have coffee together and they stay around after it's over with and they speak is something that we're just not seeing that much of because we are divided sort of into our Political, separate realities, really, to some degree, and uh, separate media. Craig, this is the third makeshift coffee house?
4: Uh, we're going to be having the third one, yes, Friday night in Bangor.
2: So, what have the other two been like, and how did they get started?
4: Well, um, they were uh, started. By me, I, I, I just kind of put a stake in the ground and said, okay, I'm going to try this, and I booked a room at my local library, which happens to be Brunswick, and I called upon my friends to donate food, and I recruited some volunteer musicians, and uh, I just did it. Uh, we had about 80 people show up on a, on a Saturday night, and, uh, and it was a very good uh, conversation. Um, from there, the, uh, the patent-free library in Bath decided that they would like to sponsor a couple of them. So uh, we've, got, uh, we've had one there already. We've got another one planned. The Lewiston Library has jumped on board. Uh, they very much want to bring this concept to Lewiston. We have one planned there for the evening of May 6th. One thing that's interesting about the one we're doing in Bangor on Friday night my partner in organizing that makeshift coffee house is the State Republican Party. The first two that we had um were mostly the Democrats and Liberals. Um I, I feel a little bit awkward uh being so um general in my characterization, but uh I think that's true to say it's been harder for me to recruit conservatives and Republicans to these conversations than it has been to recruit Democrats and liberals. So I very much reached out to the Republican Party and, uh, asked them if they would be interested in this idea and would they be willing to help me bring Republicans to the table? And they said, yes, I'm very grateful for the, the staff, uh, there in the, uh, state office of the GOP and, uh, they've done a lot of organizing and hopefully uh, recruiting people to come join the conversation uh, on Friday night at Houston University.
2: Hmm. Are, are there things that you think that sort of signals that we give out in setting up meetings that, that preclude the sort of other side or other yeah. sides from getting involved? <laughs> you know, things like I'm thinking somebody mentioned a meeting with a talking stick, and you can pretty much – you know, that's sort of. Telegraphs. Who's yeah, going to be you at the have meeting? Meeting
4: with a talking stick. You're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna be overly simplistic here, but you know, you're gonna attract people with long hair and who wear Birkenstocks and that sort of thing. Forgive me for for being so stereotypical, but I, I think that's kind of what you were after. Right. Um, no, that's what
2: I mean. What, what yeah. are some of those signals or symbols? Well, we I have tried
4: to uh, be neutral with the makeshift coffee house, you know, but people have even told me you call it a coffee house that's going to uh, attract more uh, liberals than conservatives. Some have even said if you have it at a library that might be more attractive to conservatives or liberals. Now, I would pretty vehemently push back on that. At least it is my hope that we can all view libraries as nonpartisan, neutral ground. But still, there are some who say that it might have that reputation. One last thing I'll mention, there's a photograph of me that we sometimes use to promote these. I'm wearing a white shirt and a red tie. And somebody suggested to me... Craig, you might, you know, want to take off the tie and show, give us a picture of you not wearing a tie. We'd get uh, more people would be uh, inclined to attend. And then mm-hmm. a Republican person piped up and said, "Craig, if you want to attract conservatives and Republicans." Keep the white shirt and the red tie. That would actually tie. be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I want to just remind listeners that we welcome you to join the discussion. We've only got about 15 minutes left to the program, so call in now if you have something that you'd like to add to this. We'd really like to hear from you, too, And in this part of the discussion of what kinds of things sort of telegraph to you uh, who's going to be having the meeting and whether or not you might want to be involved. The number here is right into the studio, 469 or you can call toll-free, 1-866-625-9378. We also heard uh, last week from some people in Belfast who are holding similar meetings, and I don't know if we'll hear from them today, if they'll call in, but the information about how to get in touch with them is on the archives of last week's show. Stacy, what do you think about that whole issue of trying to make the the space inclusive and by calling it a space instead of a place, did I just telegraph another whole, like, mm-hmm. you know?
10: <laughs> yeah, I think that I, I, my general sense with the, what's happened um, with our um, administration at this time and in the White House and a bigger level is to I'm trying to move our frame of reference just away from that whole realm um, and just focus on the concerns and the people um, where we live in a r- mostly rural community It's really, um, I'm just talking to the people. I'm not putting labels on it. And um, I would say that I would imagine that most people are experiencing some level of concern. Not all of them, maybe. Maybe some people feel comfortable with what's happening. But I know that I hear a lot of concern. So the starting point for our listening sessions is really for people that feel concerned to have a place to come, to start to voice those concerns and start to look at, hearing their neighbors express concerns um, in in that building, in that village sense building, and then we start to look at breaking down those concerns into problem solving and answers and action, and then also how to then, as another angle of another avenue, is then to also take it, um, one, to the action, and two, to the elected officials, so keep building that relationship. So I'm not... I just don't put. I'm not putting my energy there. I'm really putting my energy on on the the level of concern that people are feeling. And uh, yeah,
2: uh, Craig, uh, with the food and and uh, discussion period and music at yours, is that an intentional thing to try to make it more social?
4: Absolutely. Um, there's a good portion of the evening, which is a full group conversation uh, that I facilitate, but there's also a good portion of the evening, which is um, just sit, sit uh, in small groups, talk, talk in pairs uh, with music playing in the background. Uh, we do that both before and after the full group discussion, and we have a light structure to that. For instance, if you come on uh, uh, Friday night to Houston University... Uh, 6.30 to 7.30, uh, you're going to find a ragtag band of Irish uh, musicians playing in the corner. You're going to be invited to have some food and some drink and sit wherever you like. And at the different tables, there's going to be some signs with different topics. Um, They all have to do with this question of a popular vote versus uh, leaders making decisions on our behalf. But different aspects of that, and we're going to encourage people to move from table to table. Sit at this table for a little while, sit at this table, stand over here in the corner and talk with people, uh, but there will be that informal conversation in, in addition to the, to the more formal full group structured conversation. <laughs>
2: You're listening to Main Currents on WERU. My guests are Craig Freshly, who you just heard. He is the facilitator of makeshift coffee houses, and the next one's coming up Friday evening at Hudson University. And Stacey song with Mainers for Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good. She will be. Uh, she's organizing a community listening session that will be taking place in Orland on Saturday, and we'll have them both give you more uh, details about the where and the when and their websites. As we wrap up in a few minutes, we invite you to join the discussion at 4 Four six nine oh five hundred. Stacy, what about the format for uh, the community listening sessions? Is it facilitated or open mic style thing, or how does it work?
10: Yeah, so we're going to kind of we're going to follow a uh, format where we're going to have a speaker that in the beginning just to kind of get um, things flowing, and then we're going to do two minute segments where everyone gets up and to share their questions. We're going to have a board where we start to write down the questions that everyone is bringing to the session. Um, and then once we've kind of gotten through those two-minute uh, voicings of concern and questions, um, we're going to break down into smaller groups where we uh, select some of the questions that we feel are most per- most pressing and um, allow some people some time to come to some answers about it. Uh, our hope or goal is that everybody leaves with at least one action to do from that listening session to take out into the world to make change. And um, then it's a continuum of keep meeting and keep building and uh, going from there.
2: And anybody from you, you said your target is sort of uh, the second district. So anybody from this whole area is welcome to attend. Or? Yeah,
10: I mean we're focusing on the second district. So, but certainly that's not exclusive. And um, yeah, we're gonna. Right now, we're focusing on kind of being centralized in this area because that's where the um, majority of us are. But we certainly could branch out and hit some other areas too in CD two.
2: Yeah. And Craig, yours is open to anyone.
4: You bet. In fact, all people are encouraged to attend.
2: Great. We have a caller. Uh, David from Brooklyn. Welcome to Main Currents.
3: Hi. Yeah, I'm sorry I tuned in late and I, I I'm doing several other things at the same time. But uh it it just occurred to me it's an interesting notion and I I you know, much more than interesting, it's an essential notion. Uh to get us all talking together and uh, I've I've heard uh, the, the same desire expressed on uh, on uh, uh, some of the Fox News outlets, which I listened to to try to broaden my own perspective. Uh, and I, I was just wondering uh, what it might be like if the uh, if the meeting was somehow uh, even like fancifully regulated so that there would for everyone who was. To put it uh, very boldly, pro-Trump, there would be also one who was uh, 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 what are uh, fondly called leftists. Uh, You know, if you could, like, advertise the thing as being a balanced uh, talking session uh, and recruit, you know, and sort of like let it be known that you would do your utmost to... uh, you know, do a, a preliminary screening at the door, and see whether. I mean, this is a, it's it's fanciful notion, but I, I think uh, it's such a danger that you know that we get into clusters of of choir uh, talking amongst each other and hyping up our our uh, our, our distress uh, uh, to the point where it becomes more difficult to bridge gaps rather than. Uh, easier.
2: All right. Uh, right. Thanks, David. Uh, Stacy, Craig, either one of you
10: want to weigh in on that?
4: Uh, well, Stacy, would you, I, I have something to say, if, but you go first if you'd like to.
10: Um, Well, I would just say here that, um, our goal is unification. I feel like even, um, and again, I'm trying to, I, our goal is to move away from labels and, and to look at the people and to look at what their concerns are. And that doesn't need to have partisanship involved in it. And, um, I think that there is, with the administration in the White House at a 35% approval rating, which is lower than Nixon and Watergate, that we've got people of all all walks of life that are feeling concerned. So... um I'm, we're really. Fo- I think their focus is to come back to the people and to look at the concern. And I also should mention the second fold part of this um, session is also to take concerns, which we do anyway through Mainers for Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good, to the electeds. So the questions we're forming um, will, will then be all delivered to the elected officials. So I wanted to mention that yeah. as well. Yes.
4: Uh, I think that it's critically important to uh, welcome and encourage uh, both liberals and conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, Greens, Libertarians, Independents, whatever label you want to put on other people or put on yourself, um, all are welcome. And I am trying my best to get a good balance of all kinds of people in the room, but I can't control that and I'm not willing to uh, ask <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting idea, David, but I'm not willing to ask people at the door um, you know, what category they fall into and then let them in or turn them away based on that just so I have a good balance in the room. Who we get in the room is who we get in the room, but once you're in the room as a neutral facilitator, it's my job to make sure sure that you are going to have a chance to say your thing and that you're going to have a chance to listen respectfully to the things that other people have to say. And uh, from a facilitation perspective, that's, that's the
2: best I can do. Can you actually, before we wrap up, that touches on another item that I wanted to make sure that we covered is what guidelines do you put in place and how do you uh, prepare for any conflict if it arises or, or hopefully... Anticipate that and avoid it in advance.
4: R- I presume you're asking that. Yes, as, yeah, yeah. Me. You start yeah.
2: because I know you have a list on your website, <laughs> and then we'll go <laughs> to Stacy if uh, she <laughs> see what they have in place as well.
4: Yeah, well, let me tell you the list at the website. It's very simple. We have five guidelines. Number one is speak from your experience. We want to hear from you, and we want you to speak for yourself. Number two is listen to understand. Number three is everyone gets a turn no one criticizes, and neutral facilitation. Very simple. Those are the five things. I explained them at the start of the meeting. And the ones that we've had so far have been extremely uh, respectful. We have had people in the room who are vehemently opposed uh, philosophically, politically, even morally, but have listened to each other and talked with each other with respect. And that's exactly what I expect on Friday night in Bangor.
10: Great. And Stacey, quickly, do you have guidelines uh, set up for yours? Um, our guidelines are a little more organic than that, but certainly respectfulness is, um, but that I think we're not um, imposed, the, what the structure we're putting on the the sessions is that two-minute structure. So we're really allowing people to communicate and express themselves. But the time is, is, uh, yeah. All right, well, speaking
2: of time, we're out of it. (laughs) So I want to have you each just say, again, what your event is, when and where it's going to be held, and where
10: people can get more information. Stacey, do you want to go first? Sure. So um, our uh, event is a community listening sessions. It's hosted by Mainers for Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good. And it's Saturday, April eighth at two p.m. at the Orland Community Center, and that's in room number nine. And a contact for us is uh, uh, is an email, which is Standing for the Common Good, all one word, lowercase, at gmail dot com. So you can send any questions that way or get on our mailing list. And um, we also have uh, both groups have Facebook pages: Mainers for the Ca- Accountable Leadership and Standing for the Common Good, as well.
2: Great, thank you. And Craig. Um, making assumptions about our
4: enemies is really easy. Uh, working to understand where they're coming from is, is harder, but so much more rewarding in the end. That's what these makeshift coffee houses are all about, understanding each other. So the event is on Friday night, April 7th at husson university it's at the dyke center for family business it starts at uh, six thirty and goes to 10 o'clock we're going to have some great irish music and some really good discussion the website for more information is makeshiftcoffeehouse.com
2: all right well thank you both for joining me today stacy leaves and craig freshly appreciate your time thanks and- so much amy You've been listening to Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. John Greenman is our studio engineer. You can catch us here on Wednesdays at 4 o'clock here on WERU. I will be away for the next two weeks, but next week, Carol and Coe will be filling in with a show about Mid-Coast based activist Bruce Gagnon. Democracy Now is coming up next, followed by Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg and A Night of Great Music, only here on your community radio station, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99 9 Bangor and streaming online at weru.org
0: Support for weru comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org.
5: Support for WERU comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information on federal funding for community radio is available at WERU.org.
0: Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Waterfront Concerts presenting the Immersion World Tour 2017 with Brit Floyd, a journey through five decades of Pink Floyd, at the Cross Insurance Center in Bangor, Wednesday, April 12th. waterfrontconcerts.com, 1-800-745-3000.
3: Support for WRU comes
5: from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media.
2: The 5 o'clock
11: hour-long edition of Democracy Now! is recorded each weekday morning at 8, at which time listeners can hear the live Democracy Now! headlines. Thank you for tuning in.
8: Support for WERU comes from the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, a nonprofit organization building sustainable communities through sustainable agriculture. Information on events, certification, and membership at 568-4142 or mofga.org.